the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 106, recorded Friday, August 30th, 2013. Texas Road Trip. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright, and they have yet to kick me out of the building. I'm your host for this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, downloading it, and or streaming with us. Uh, we have a couple of, of regulars and a couple of newbies, so uh, gentlemen, be nice to the new people, please. George Tucker <laughs> would be the old hat. His name is George Tucker, Tucker 2's on anywhere, any, any sort of communication medium. He is an engineering coordinator for world stage, but he's also the left half of my brain. How are you? All right, thanks. That was quite the lengthy introduction. Uh, I've been sugared up and caffeined. It's been one for of For a man days. who needs no introduction, let me go on for an hour. <laughs> you know what? Uh, <laughs> the other guy who doesn't need an introduction uh, is Bill Brown. Bill is the president and CEO of BD Brown Communications. How are you, sir? I am doing wonderful, Tim. A uh, couple of the newbies. First of all, Jamie Trader is not new to our airways, but he is new to this show. Uh, Jamie is the technical resource director for AMX. He did uh, grace us with his presence on this month's edition of uh, State of Control, but this is his first time uh, at back at at bat on the uh, on the weekly show. Welcome, sir. Good afternoon. And uh, last but not least, Charlie Jones. Charlie is the senior technical manager for Surgex ESP. Welcome, Mr. Jones. Thank you, sir. Happy to be on board. Absolutely. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. First of all, we're going to get into a little bit of IPTV. Uh, I've gotten a couple of, of pushback on when we talk about IPV, IPTV. Here's the way I see this. And I know the pushback I get is the fact that, well, that's kind of residential. It's, it's residential. It's for home stuff. And yes, there's a slight truth to that. But I, I see it being more and more in the pro market every single month. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, a couple of uh, things in the space of non-touchable or non-touching, I guess, um, control and a real, really, really big camera with a really big um, resolution. Uh, but first, let's talk about a lot, talk a little business, if we can. Uh, from the land of San Francisco and our buddy Rich Fragoza, there are, <laughs> this. <laughs> I like the way that, that the, uh, uh, San Francisco Business Journal puts this: Home tech firms for the super rich merge, <laughs> and it just you know, yeah, this is just for you guys who make you know eight figures a year. It's eh, sort of, but not really. Uh, well, it goes with our aspirational economy, right? Everybody yes. wants to think they fall in that category. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing: the the, the guy that that wrote the piece, um, uh, Patrick Hoke, he puts in that that this company starts out with with a projected. $75 million in revenue next year. That's not something to shake a stick at. Um, it, the, the, who it is, it's, is um, you, you've, got, uh, you've got Engineered Environments, uh, which is Randy Stearns, and Randy Stearns actually is the head of this new um, venture. Uh, Randy is the former head, uh, the former chair chairman of Cedia. Um, but you've also got 
Paragon Technology Group, you've got uh, DSI, you've got Cyber Sound and Security, you've got a, a number of these these companies coming together. I, first of all, uh, Jamie, let's actually kick it off with you. When it comes to, to mergers like this, from a, a, a business standpoint, whether it's pro or, or residential AV, and, and you guys looking at as, as manufacturers, do you see this as a as a positive? Like, yeah, great. You know, the, these these companies are seeking uh, a, a, the benefit of of joining together, or is it? You know, do you see it as circling the the wagons and let's protect ourselves because we see uh, rough seas ahead? You know, I, I honestly don't see it as either. I, I on a personal level, I kind of look at it as just you know, kind of. I guess just further evidence that the residential marketplace is transforming. You know, I look at it that, you know, we're in an app-driven, you know, smart technology world right now, and it's eliminating kind of a lower market need for, you know, kind of integration providers. And at the same time, it's driving up the need for this, you know, this white glove, do-it-for-me market service, you know, provider marketplace. So to me, I look at what's happening there as positive because it's outlining that, the marketplace is keeping up with the shift in, in technology, and it's, you know, this this residential conglomeration is doing the same thing that commercial saw, you know, pretty much 20 years ago with this nationalization of talented service providers and, and, and firms and networks. So I don't, I don't see it as good or bad. I just see it as this is part of the transformation of the marketplace. And, you know, when you look at, when you look at what residential integration firms used to be, you know, uh, 10, 20 years ago, there was there was no simple way to simplify the experience of your technology in your home. So anytime that you want to do something more than have a remote control for your satellite box and a remote control for your TV and a remote control for your Blu-ray, if you want to do anything besides that, you needed somebody to come in and help you do it. And now it's really just there's Every, everyone has some kind of, you know, every manufacturer is putting some kind of localizable control via an iOS device or whatever. So for me to open up my iPhone or my, my Android tablet or whatever, open up an app and control that device, uh, task over to another app and, and control right there, I've kind of simplified that. So really it's just redefined the marketplace and it's redefined this, this value position for, you know, guys to go in and actually really cater to those guys that are saying, Look, I don't care that it's easy to do with individual apps. I still want somebody to come in and provide me a really custom, sincerely unique experience for myself. So, not not, not good or bad. When you Just, say when you say this is kind of a, a transformation of the marketplace, do you mean the fact that this is where we're going with with bigger and and uh, not more complex, but just uh, bigger uh, companies, bigger integrators? Well. No, not, not, not in. <laughs> let me let me pause on that one for a second. <laughs> not, not as not as a wholesale answer. Not, I don't think that that's everyone's got to be a, a big large conglomerate. I mean, it just it's a trend that you know when when technology gets simpler to use and it becomes more commoditized and it becomes um, when when children grow up with automation and children grow up with technology and then they start to buy their own homes and they start to have different levels of expectation for how they manage their house. They adopt some of those technology pains themselves and it just establishes that the new service model is focused on something a little bit different instead of the service model being coming in and simplifying certain types of experiences the service model now becomes about concierge service concierge um, 
lifestyle automation, not so much technology automation. So yeah, I don't think it's so much that, that what's transforming is the size of the business. I think it's just evidence of the the reality of technology automation being uh, kind of less important than the actual service and the personalization automation, the, the, the customization behind that, the, the human factor, if you will. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that some... Uh, some of these guys have come together and, and are forming a strong national presence, I just think is a very natural migration as these technology things change. George, it's interesting that, that Jamie used the, the word concierge because, because our buddy uh, Rich Fregosa, who is uh, it, it geographically centered around uh, this new company, uh, Via, uses it calls himself a digital concierge. So, you know, is that kind of what, what these guys are doing where they're, they're giving themselves, you know, all of the great tools that each of these companies individually possessed um, and they're, they're positioning themselves in the market to where they can be that concierge to the stars? Yeah, I suppose so. I, I had two thoughts on this when I was when I was reading about it. And that one, this is the second major one we've heard of mm -hmm. in less than in what, two months? A month, yeah. In less than a month. That's right. It was a month. And while that could be, there's a lot of people who will lose some aspect of their work there because you can't have that concierge where everybody overlaps. As nice as that that's is, true. I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. So you're going to watch a little bit of a purge. And again, I base this on what I saw happen in the event staging world all those years ago where, you know, they went to go. We have to have this consortium and we're going to go from coast to coast and then. They sort of peeled away people, and the culture in each one died, and they died. Charlie, from a from an, a uh, a manufacturer standpoint, how do you guys? I mean, do you do you worry about stuff like this, or is this one of the things where you know, let's say that there's ten people that come together, um, and one or two of them are integrators who who have deals with you? Do you say, okay, now you all have them, or is it one of those things where you just you have to pick and choose who who your end users are? Uh, you know, it, it can be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Jamie uh, in what he was saying in that uh, you know, the industry as a whole is definitely ripe for a certain amount of consolidation. Uh, and with that, uh, like you were saying, Tim, inevitably from a manufacturing side, uh, some people are going to be included and they're going to see a, a huge boom. The other side of it, of course, is that some guys aren't going to make the cut, right? So as a manufacturer, you're always looking to make sure that, uh, that, that you know, you're on the A-team, that you've got a couple guys in there that are happy, that are happy with your product. And then more importantly, it does force us as a manufacturer to make sure that we are delivering the, the products that the marketplace really needs. Uh, you know, you might be able to find a guy in every town that uh, thinks you're just a really guy fun guy to play golf with and therefore he buys your products but you know as things consolidate and now there's fewer and fewer of those guys you got to make sure that uh, you're bringing what the market really needs uh, you know the the flip side of it being that uh, I do think that you're seeing some of this consolidation just due to a certain amount of the commoditization that we've seen uh, in the AV industry both residential and commercial uh, products that used to be a little more protected or uh, you know things that uh, they needed us to come set it up for them, if you will. Uh, now there's an app for that, right? Uh, and so I think a lot of these uh, companies are getting bigger so that they can uh, maybe get a little bit better deal to protect some of their margins and things uh, the, from the manufacturers themselves. Mm, very good. Uh, Bill, how do you see this this merger coming through? Um, obviously, you're on, you're on the opposite coast, but uh, how does it, how do you see this merger going through? 
I, I think that there is um, – we talked about the convergence um, that has been going on for a number of years. And I, and I, and I think where the, the, the two cultures that are coming together with IT and, and AV, I, th I think this merger represents a more of a co collaboration and a connection. And how we form those collaborations and connections, either through mergers or through um, virtual connections, or um, as was mentioned before in this, the staging, how they tried earlier with the, um, you know, networks or uh, or something to to kind of get things um, moving. And and I think the 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 other challenge is communicating that clear that clear message of you know, why we're getting together or what do we, what do we need to do to keep the, um, the culture um, of our individual, you know, business cases or our companies. I, I, I think in order for us to really um, be an industry of professionals that take care of not just um, people, you know, at their businesses but at their homes too, we are going to have to come together. We're going to see more of these um, mergers or, or, or things where people, people are coming together to, um, to, to make sure we're, we're covering all of our bases. No, that makes sense. Absolutely, that makes sense. Uh, from Gizmodo, uh, <laughs> this is this, I just like this one. It is a 64 by 9 ultra wide camera. I said sixty-four by nine. Um, it's bigger than sixty. Actually, we should we should call this like the new UHD TV, the ultra high definition, ultra, ultra, ultra wide. Uh, the way that Gizmodo puts it is, you can capture an entire sporting event event at once. George, is this just a cool little gimmick that Panasonic's putting out here, or is this a useful tool? Well, like anything else, I think that need, that's to be determined. But it does look like they have the rig down. I mean, it, they said the same thing about the, well, I forget what they call the camera that flies over. Oh, the, the, the X-Cam. The X-Cam, yeah, that flies over everything. That, that was just a, a, a special effect. It would go away when, the, I guess, when the NFL or the XFL went away. Yeah. But, of course, it would incorporate it, the NFL. I could see this having very big uses with any of those widescreen and some of those, you know, specialized IMAX at home type broadcast. Well, I think this would do better than 3D or any of the other stuff they've been talking about. This would be a real home theater experience. Wait, 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 wait. You not, think this is going to do as good as 3D? <laughs> that's oh, not better. saying much. I said better. That's even worse. You think this is going to do better well, than 3D? I, I've yet to see it happen. Well, I mean, you can laugh, but I've yet to see an actual image. And that well, would yes. basically tell us a, a whole lot. Yeah. But having 64 by 9 and being able to see in the entire football field in one motion, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with you, George, on that one. I I don't think I don't think it's going to be something where this is going to revolutionize tomorrow. We're not going to see everybody running down to Best Buy and trying to, or or going online and trying to order this uh, for for their own sports venues or whatever. But I, would, I, I can't help, and I hate to cut you off there, but I, I think it's a great point to compare it to 3D and think about the user experience behind what they're describing with this camera system along with, you know, that Samsung 55-inch monster curvy telly. Uh, you know, this is, this is really another stepping, uh, stepping stone towards this high-end consumer 
immersion experience. You know, in the commercial space, mm. we've been doing immersion for a long time now, and all of a sudden to to take them being walk into a projected environment where I've got 160 degrees of monitors in front of me, where I'm not having to put funky glasses on. I just get to walk into a room and be surrounded. This this is a very real thing. I mean, this is it's it's lazier and it's more enjoyable. And I think those are very successful factors for technology adoption. You know, that's a very good the, point. Go ahead. the The part that's that's coolest to me, to be honest, is beyond the the eighty eight pound rig that's got these four cameras all mounted into it, which I, I definitely recommend googling. It's pretty impressive to look at. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the whole the little byline here of custom software used to seamlessly blend the transition between neighboring shots. Uh, that to me actually is the coolest part of it all because now mm. uh, you know four by four is just a, is a starting point. If somebody wants to do some sort of super duper IMAX with you know eighteen cameras, it sounds like somebody's at least starting to work that way with the software to be able to in real time or near real time edge blend these all together into a seamless uh, high definition picture. Which I think the possibilities there uh, go above and beyond maybe just uh, sporting events. Well, and Bill, like, like actually all three of them had talked about, this is, and I, I have to admit, I saw this and I, I kind of chuckled, but based on what all three of you guys are saying, I like the immersive technology part about this. Uh, Bill, do you think that this is something that, that could be started integrated, whether it's a sporting event or maybe, you know, um, Department of Defense, uh, you know, training or, or something that, of that nature? I I think um, it's it, it caught me kind of... of Odd in the sense that there's there's two things. When you look at what's going on in you know since it's football season now, mm, um, yes. and the biggest challenge that they um, they have to getting people into stadiums is the experience that you have watching this <laughs> somewhere else. Um, and and now if you bring this aspect that it's almost like being there, it's like well wait a minute. Um, is it really almost? Is it really? If is it almost too much um, information around you and kind of you're kind of distracted by you know it's kind of it goes from cool to being distracting and so is is the sporting environment the best environment for this to be in and and I would I would question that with all of the other challenges um, that you know that live sports. Or professional sports have, I think in some cases in, in hockey, I would love to see everything that's going on and kind of you know this organized um, mob that's that's going on and and, and things that are just happening so fast. You think you're you're going to miss uh, something, um, but um, I, I just think there is another application that we are not aware of that this would do better in than in the sporting. And, and that was just my initial gut um, after looking at it and, and really listening to some of the discussions about the experience of of watching sports outside of the arenas yeah. um, in a stadium. Well, and you I may have to you, say, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I have to say that with the, your example of the, the hockey, for true hockey fans, that's that's actually the truth. I wasn't going to mention hockey because most people don't want to talk about it, but. You, most hockey fans don't watch the, where the actual puck is. We're watching mm-hmm. to the side. You're watching the the crease. Yeah. <laughs> this would give you that experience, you know, par excellence. And now, I guys, still feel like let's, let's, the guys, what? let's be honest. We know it's going to show up first and foremost at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Jerry Jones has probably <laughs> yeah, already got four of these on you, order. Yeah. Don't disappoint me on this, would you please? <laughs> 
once, just once, can we have it first? Come on. Although I have to say, the first thought that came into my mind after listening to, to Jamie speak was, 3D to me seemed like a solution looking for a problem, and this looks like it's a value added. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that yeah. makes a hell of a lot of sense, but it really does feel like that to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. I mean, whether it's hockey, I mean, I'll talk about hockey or, or football all day long with 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 you with with anybody actually. Um, yes, the fact that Jerry Jones has the big, world's biggest whatever, you know, you know, whatever. I, I'm not going to get into a, a to a football fight with, you know, with with a Texan on the line. Uh, so since since I'll probably be watching, you know, somebody else playing my playoffs this year instead of my beloved Bears. Um, but hockey, I actually, George, you and I had the same thought because you're right. We don't watch. Yes, you watch the puck, but you also watch everything else that's going on. Um, both, you know, the entire breadth of the uh, of the ice. Plus, you you know, what was a month or so ago, um, the whole you can buy an IMAX theater for your home thing came out, and it was mm. it was over a million dollars. I don't remember what, what it was. You know, so you know, de- definitely not in my price range. But I can see that coupled with this camera giving you an incredible immersive experience. So can you imagine the, the Super Bowl party at, you know, somebody's you know, house, <laughs> no one I know. Uh, but, you know, a company like the, the first one we talked about, the Via International, you know, putting this in someone's house where you can see the entire stadium in one fail, you know, swath. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it is kind of neat now that yeah. I'm sitting here and thinking about it. Yeah. By the way, guys, the new Reliance Stadium board is even bigger than the Cowboys, so oh. the Texans have that going for them. But everything's bigger in Texas, Big, Charlie. Right. <laughs> Regardless of what we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one's at Dallas Stadium and one's at the Texans, but they're both in Texas. So and sounds like a road trip. It does. That would not be a half bad idea. They got to play the Bears or something. You know, that's just me. Uh Moving along, let's talk about touch for a second, shall we? Um, or touchless? Uh, I'm not quite sure what to. You can't call it touch anymore because the, the the stories we're going to talk about actually re, 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 ask you to refrain from touching. Uh, both Intel and um, has a uh, has a, uh, um, a line of products that they're they're starting to release, and another company called Area uh, has this LED lamp that is that recognizes your gestures and. Um, you know, here's the thing, both with the new enhanced connect on the, the Microsoft One uh, that's coming out, and you've got the fact that, that people have been hacking connects for years, uh, you can have a connect for Windows and, and do different things with, with, with computing where you don't have to touch. Um, and, and I know we've talked on this show at least more than once uh, about, you know, having gestures being the 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 home automation control uh charlie we'll start with you and just a a real basic question where are we in the maturing of this whole touchless space i i I gotta say that we're not quite there yet uh and and this is speaking from a guy that has a touchless trash can that i curse at at least four times a day (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because you're supposed to just wave your hand over it right and it opens up uh, you know the, the the touch LEDs, uh, the the or the touchless LEDs, like you said, or the touchless interfaces, whether it's through your Connect or or even some of the gesture-based things. Uh, you know, right now they they all seem to be, to be honest, uh, more of a proof of concept than than something that anybody says. I've got to have that. It changes the way that I work every day of my life. Um, you know, there may be a market, there may be an opportunity for people that uh, perhaps uh, are are uh, disabled in some way. 
Uh, but from a manufacturing standpoint, and I'm sure Jamie would agree from a control standpoint, uh, a lot of these things, uh, by, by removing normal traditional interfaces, while it increases the wow factor, becomes a nightmare in terms of uh, trying to make it play well with others. Jamie, from a manufacturer's standpoint, would you agree with that? I would. I, I guess I have to throw out the uh, proverbial "ditto that." <laughs> that's. that's uh, I Th- mean, this is not Rush Limbaugh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Uh, it, it. You know, it's. What, what What do we really gain from that? To me, I think it's kind of analogous to like motion sensing faucets. You know, I mean, it's you walk up and there's a very specific device that you know you're supposed to you know, generate a very specific body motion for you're a little bit clumsy with it because you don't know, am I supposed to wave this fast? Am I supposed to gesture slow? Should I do it this deliberate? Should I go up? Should I go down? And so it's a little bit that the human factor behind it is still clunky. There's no uniform standard of what is the gesture that should elicit something. So, you know, Charlie nails it right on the head. It's, um, there, there's, it doesn't transform the way we get things done. And so it's either going to sit there in a mode of satisfying the purpose of what a, a motion sensing faucet does, which is just enhance hygiene in public spaces, or it's just going to be something that's kind of neat for uh, people who are technologists at heart and, and love to do neat things. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a new type of remote control. It's a new switch. It's a new interface, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> George? Yeah, uh, gesturing and controlling things. I mean, here's the thing. Like I said, we we have we really have been talking about uh, touchless controls for for a couple of years, uh, at least on this show. Where are we really in this in in this space? I, I think, like was just stated, um, a lot of desire, a lot of anticipation but not much on the practical side yet. There's a lot of hackers who say, yes, I can make it work. And a lot of ways this reminds me of how people feel about Linux or uh, Ubuntu or any of those things. I'm probably mispronouncing it at the moment. Um, In that they're great, we love what they're doing, we want them the way they are, but we spend more time trying to make them work than actually working with them. And and that's sort of was my feeling when we first talked about some of this stuff about a year ago where I said I wasn't a gesture in the... uh, in the old, I'm not a, I'm not an animal mm-hmm. <laughs> vein. Um, I still think there's a lot to go on. I've watched people at these trade shows try to use these things in the trade show environments, and you know they're waving around and you know again I've compared it to semi four. They're flapping the flags around trying to get the thing to react. Uh, for some things, I think it would work, like the lights. When there's a, a light system that we we have a detail on where you can put your hand underneath and make it say graduated lighting gets brighter or dimmer, I think that works perfectly. When you're starting to talk about turning your lights on and off or the TV channel changing or changing the temperature, I don't know. I just I just don't see it. Maybe an old curmudgeon and the kids will laugh at me five years from now. But, again, I'm seeing more potential than reality. You are a curmudgeon, and I will laugh at you five years from now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bill, laughing at me now. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, Bill, okay, so we're, 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 uh, there's a, a general consensus uh, that we are – um, long on on promise, short on on real practical applications. So where do we go from here uh, as far as this touchless interface? I think bring it to the technology center, and I, I think <laughs> very the, nice, very the, well. Done. Um, the the exciting thing about the one component of the the technology center that is you know regional and based is that bring cool stuff that you don't know what to do with it have a focus group on it, have um, 
some end users in, have different, um, you know, markets to say, hey, this is the technology that's available. This is what we um, we were planning to use it. How will you use this in your current environment? Because I think um, the technology industry does a good job of you know creating um, you know great things um, and showing people the the benefits and the bells and whistles, but does a poor job of implementation implementing the the technology into an organization so people get all excited about something and have these high expectations um and then once that cools down it's like what the heck did i you know just do but once you spent that technology dollar it's gone so having an environment where you can it is instead of a, a large um trade show uh, floor, have a small, more intimate kind of environment, and bring in um, different people to to look at it and and kind of put it through its paces and and kind of move it along. You get the you get the um, the um, I guess the word on the street or or something, or and then help uh, people allow the technology to advance um, instead of just. Um, technology that is just solving a problem right now. Where is the technology taking us? Instead of what what do I need right now to um, to stay on? So bring it to the technology center. We'll we'll kick the tires and show people how uh, how it can best work into their environment. Real real quickly, explain to people what the the technology center is and, and where it is. The technology center. The first technology center is in what is called the Piedmont Triad of North Carolina. It's um, the combination of Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point. Um, and the, the Technology Center is a 13,000-foot, um, square-foot um, uh, building with an 8,000-square-foot um, trade show floor and stage that's designed to uh, basically connect the the manufacturers um, to end users. It is market-driven and end-user-centric facility, and I think that's where we we miss it in our industry. And I and I think we we have trade shows like Infocom and road shows that will um, connect dealers and um, tech directors um, that that really doesn't get down past the the technologists and and then we wonder why it's it's a hard sell in different places so having a technology in manufacturing that will bring you know the AV people to the table um, and have those conversations about smart buildings having technology in um, healthcare and that can bring people that do healthcare well, integrators and manufacturers that do um, that um, market well, but other integrators that want to get into that area can come to the technology center and learn about how to get into there. And I, th- and I think um, we don't do a, a good job, and I want to fill in that gap or create that bridge for us to be the 
the technology professionals that I think our industry and a number of different markets need us to be. Yeah, I, I, I had the opportunity to see some of the stuff that Bill was putting together in, in, uh, in uh, Orlando during Infocom. And I actually wish that I lived closer because it, it, it's kind of a cool thing. So uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. You are listening to AV Week. That gentleman right there is Bill Brown from BD Brown Communications. George Tucker is here from World Stage. Jamie Trader from deep in the heart of Texas. He's from AMX. And Charlie Jones uh, from uh, Surgex. I'm just going to do all kinds of football stuff today because it's almost time. Uh, by the way, how, how are your Cowboys doing? Uh, who okay. are you referring to as your Cowboys? Well, you're in Texas, so I, I shouldn't have assumed that. Are you are you Texans or are you, are I, you Cowboys? I, I oh, well, uh, it's even worse. I I have to choose the Texans because I'm actually from Denver, and so I've, oh. I've followed my I've followed my Kubiak over to the Texans, but well, good. I'm still a I'm still a Bronco at heart. So there's nothing wrong with that. God, you know, I'm 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 just outside of St. Louis, and I'm still a Bear fan. So you know, <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, all right. Moving on. Let's let's chat a bit about IPTV uh, for a second here. We have a, a number of stories. Uh, first of all, it's a, a opinion piece about what it's going to take for um, for Apple to get into that space. Uh, the author of that says uh, <clears throat> ESPN, which I, you know I I don't necessarily discredit that. I would give them three three more letters, and that's NFL. Uh, just because I think once the NFL starts getting into that space on a more serious level uh, and and when i say serious level the level that the that major league baseball is and and baseball when it comes to ipv iptv i think they have it over all of the other major sports over nhl and and the nba and the nfl uh because for for one flat rate you can watch any game uh anytime on a handful of devices and, and it's not a cheap rate you know it's not like 20 bucks it's it's eh, 150 i think last time i checked for the entire season, but still, it's 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 a considerable uh, jump from you know being able to watch a football game after the fact, which is kind of where the NFL is, is stuck right now. And I understand there are contractual reasons for all that. Uh, Google also says that they're uh, bringing back some of the local content that that they apparently lost uh, in a firmware upgrade because it's not a bug; it's a feature, <laughs> which I love. That was for Jamie because you know. All, that, all control, thank, you, thank you very much. All control manufacturers love you to upgrade their firmware. Yeah. Um, and then Kevin Spacey is like the new poster child for IPV TV uh, because the holy cow success of House of Cards, which you can only watch if you have Netflix because that's the only place it is. And uh, that and um, you also have the last season of Arrested Development on Netflix. And black and, and Orange is the New Black, which is... is a, an incredible uh, success. Again, the only place you can watch it is is on Netflix. George, the reason I'm actually bringing it up this week, and there's a because there's a whole lot of stories. But first of all, question comes to you first. How soon should we, um, both in pro AV and in residential AV, uh, begin to integrate this and begin to, begin to concern ourselves with with IPV TV? Well, I, I think it's I think it's now. And personally, although I think you're going to see the Chromecast and those guys actually edge out any kind of other player in the market because they're just going to be there. <laughs> and I think they've got the, the, the mojo, as it were, to get to get the clientele in because it's an off the shelf product. Um, I, I think the future is there, but I don't think it's very long for the integration world. I hate to say it. That's my personal opinion. 
as becomes an off-the-shelf product, even with the crowded airspace, I think we're being edged out on that lane. Do you think there's anything we can do from an integrator standpoint to, you know, go back to the very first story, you know, give them a white glove or give them a concierge um, experience with whether it's Chromecast or whatever? I'm sure that services do help a lot. Absolutely. Making sure that they're frequency set is where they should be or that the house is in a, in a way that's shielded so that you can do that. And I'm sure I'm not mentioning a thousand things that Fergoza would jump all over me about uh, <laughs> saying it can't be automatically. That's Richard automatically Fergoza. Um, he should trade that trademark. I know. That I know he should trademark that. No, let me write that down. Anyway, he, he, you know, there's a lot to be added. Absolutely. But I think there are certain margins and certain things that we're just not going to be able to do as the primary profit center or saying I can make good margins on that because you're just not going to be able to. And maybe certain areas where you can't really do this, there'll be added features and things that you can still do. But I'm doubtful of it. I really am because I know from my experience, I'm looking at it to say, man, if I could get that in that arrow, Mm -hmm. I'd be a happy man. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, Tim, you hit the nail on the head. And one of the problems of tying these in with larger integration systems is exactly what you said about Google pushed out a firmware update and it broke something. Uh, you know, these are the kind of things that uh, can be minor annoyances. But then, as more and more people cut the cord, if you will, uh, you know, it's not a minor annoyance anymore when your five-year-old is, uh, you know, throwing a temper tantrum and your three-year-old screaming their head off because they can't watch Barney or whatever it is the kids watch these days. Uh, you know, the problem is it's still a very immature technology. Uh, you know, Google and, and Roku and TiVo and all these guys are, are trying to win the uh, feature spec fight and, and add more and more features. And unfortunately, the, the one thing that tends to get uh, tossed to the wayside sometimes is, is the quality control. Uh, and, and I know that some of the integrators that I deal with uh, you know, they're very apprehensive of that. You know, at the end of the day, what the customer really thinks of uh, when it comes to recommending their company or not, is how was their experience? How is their experience mm-hmm. every time they pick up the remote? And if, oh, well, you know, yes, the remote's programmed great, the AMX system's rock solid, you got that magic surge X stuff, so your power's good, but meanwhile, Google pushed out a firmware update and it broke everything, or Apple, or any of them, uh, you know, the customer doesn't draw that distinction. They bought it from Bob's AV. They're going to call Bob's AV, and they're going to be upset with Bob's AV. Okay, so that leads me to my next question, Mr. Trader. Uh, from a manufacturer standpoint, you guys are heavily involved in not just control, but you all, you are also moving, have been for a number of years, into um, high-definition video over Twisted Pair, over Fiber, over a number of different things. And it's not just you guys. There are other ones as well. From a manufacturer standpoint, is what, what can you do to help along this this market when it comes to the cord cutters and and, and IPV TV. Why am I he saying that IPTV? What can we do to help it? I think I think some of the help is just in applying it in the right places. You know, I, the marketplace is changing around us. There's you know we're we're in a marketplace where video is everywhere. You know, this is one of our speaking points from last week. Was you know video is absolutely there's more online video being being viewed today than than you can even wrap your mind around and all you really have to do to understand the marketplace is look at your teenagers and watch how they access their entertainment and what they consider as entertainment and when you recognize that what they consider to be entertainment and content is video and things from the cloud you can't deny that IPTV 
um, is is where the natural migration of all video delivery systems are, you know, and you know, kind of to Kevin Spacey's point, you know, it's it. There's no difference between watching House of Cards on Netflix on your computer versus watching, you know, YouTube on your TV. It's just it's about story and it's about content, and the easiest delivery mechanism is on an on an IP network. So from a manufacturing perspective, we don't go in and, and try to sell to the marketplace IPTV as a solution that solves every problem because guess what? There's still human um, there's still human interaction with analog and digital static devices. They, people still create content um, on physical devices. They still have to walk around and you know they, there's still a a human emotional need to plug in this thing that they've created something on and plug it in and have that route up to a TV. So the the responsible current manufacturing trend is to make sure that you accommodate everybody's everybody's passions and, and, and accommodate all the devices that still exist. And you know, a lot of the stuff that you see AMX producing is focused on you know getting things to the cloud, getting things over an IP network, but still making sure that Digital content, and by digital I mean like you know HDMI and DVI delivered material as well as analog material, all flow through uh, uh, you know through a campus, through a through a home, whatever. And we kind of look at it first from just uh, individual spaces first, and we say that most people walk into a room and you know they're going to interact with something physical, and that room is going to interact with the cloud. So first, I need to provide connectivity for analog and digital devices in the room, and that room should be able to virtualize itself to the cloud based on who I am when I walk into that space. So there's a little bit of hybrid, and that's what manufacturers you know, should be doing is making sure that they're providing a safe path towards that future. You look at what happened with, uh, with Google and that Chromecast. Well, you know, if you dig, dig down into their data with Aircast, basically, you know, he basically says outright, hey, I reverse engineered the protocols and I wasn't using Google's SDK. And then he acts surprised when when they make a change and all of a sudden his reverse engineered solution doesn't work. Well, A, they haven't published an SDK. They're in, they're in a preliminary preview, a developer preview stage of it. And, you know, of, of course, you know, really manufacturers have to develop strong partnerships and, and develop strong APIs that make them interoperable. They have to publish them and then they have to stick to them. But really by, by publishing these SDKs, previewing them, and then only really worrying about people conforming to those SDKs, that ensures a positive experience. It's kind of like trying to follow what Apple did with a, a closed system of uh, experiences. They're a closed set of experiences because they want, or a closed set of uh, uh, communications, if you will, because they're trying to guarantee an experience. Well, not everyone wants to be a closed system, but the next closest thing they can do is publish a very tightly specified SDK, publish it, and then stick to it. Um, so, you know, someone coming in and reverse engineering a protocol, that's not a good partnership with them. And I think that's where, as manufacturers, you know, we just need to be firm in saying this is how you interact with us and we'll stick to this and you stick to that. Could you, uh, and I'm asking that I'm not a, a hacker, I'm not smart enough to be a hacker, but could you not as a manufacturer take something that someone has reverse engineered like this gentleman did uh, and take that as almost like a 
a a strong suggestion or or a leading edge for you to say, you know what, this is something cool that this person did. Um, yes, they broke the SDK. Yes, they broke the agreement. Yes, I get that. Uh, but hey, it's cool nonetheless, and we, and we should maybe take that and, and run with it. Uh, it. There's always that factor. Obviously, you know, there's the the great things about standards in the world is that there's so many of them to choose from. Amen. And, you know, and <laughs> and as you know, you look at you look at all sorts of different manufacturing models. People will generate a ton of different attempts at a standard or at a set uh, schema, and and really a lot of a lot of manufacturing practice comes down to best adopted you. So I don't I think it's inherently natural to say, well, is what he did with Aircast, is that something that scales into our larger plans? Mm. I would suggest that Google looked at it and um, you know it they they may have evaluated a piece of that and they may have even adopted certain elements of it. But at the end of the day, they're responsible for branding and and delivering an experience that is not only homogenous but, you know, uh, nice across all their different products and all their different marketplaces. So assuredly they've got a larger vision of where that plugs into than just, you know, what Dutta was focused on when he when he basically examined the protocols as they existed today. He looked at a current something and decided that he would implement that something today. But he really doesn't know, you know, being on the outside in a different company, he doesn't know what their overall strategy and trajectory is. So it's they may have adopted pieces of it, and that may be part of the SDK today. But even if only one piece of it is different, you know, it don't work. You know, no, it makes and, it. Go ahead. And remember, kids, if your favorite feature gets discontinued, uh, blame either the accountants or the lawyers because the engineers <laughs> are usually on your side. We understand why you want it, but it's not our fault. It's not there anymore. Says the senior technical, technical manager. Uh, Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> real, real quick. Go ahead. Uh, Tim, yeah, I was uh, thinking of um, in these emerging technologies, creating an environment where it's a safe, you know, we talk about standards and everything, but an open environment where um, you can have those those growing pains or because you're, when every, um, uh, when I do a talk about, you know, safety and, you know, on the network safety and, and anything, you know, gone are the days where you just have to um, protect your network from your your own employees and what you think that um, um, will will harm your little small environment. To you know, there are just people looking to to crack your system, do something different, just because. Yeah. Um, and so, if we can find a way. To create an environment that okay, this is this is the emerging technology. These are the parameters. These are the standards. Uh, it's a it's a wide open um, uh, tunnel. Let, let's just say, but um, you know, have at it. But we're you know, a firmware update is not going to like shut this portion of it down or anything like that. And so, it's it's just that type of thing that you you want to. Um, not have these high expectations of of something and say, "Hey, this is great, this is wonderful, let's go." And then, oh crap, now this doesn't work. You know, I shouldn't have got involved in this too early. You know, it's like I've been duped. You, you know, and then let's wait until they fix it and to to get back. And so, how can we kind of model something forward to um, 
to to really understand the um, I guess the climate that we're we're in and um, and and really try to to move forward with mm-hmm. things. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, real, real quickly before we move on to the next uh, next story, uh, Jamie, I have a a, uh, a a great idea, and if you come out with it, you know I, I'll just you know secretly know that it was my idea. <laughs> you ready? The Innova IPTV. <laughs> yeah, send an email to, to to Sean Robinson right now. Hey, hey were you were, were were you already talking to Sean? No. Did you? See, <laughs> why do you have something like that? He can either confirm nor deny. Oh, seriously! You know, <laughs> before you, uh, I, now I am going to have to touch Sean. <laughs> well, I, I think one thing though that to not get lost in all this though, and everybody likes to get excited about talking about cutting the cord because we all hate our cable company something fierce because we, we feel like we're paying out the butt for things that uh, that we don't really use all of. But you know, at the end of the day, all this change is forcing the cable companies. You know, whether it's Comcast buying up uh, you know NBC so they can get more on the content side, or or Time Warner trying to uh, you know get their cost in line. You know, it it is being an instrument for change. And so, you know, I, I don't think that at the end of the day, we're going to end up with uh, 50% of America having cut the cord. But I think that uh, that the 75% of us that, that don't cut the cord are going to end up with a much better experience uh, and with a product that we really do appreciate and value more than uh, the current cable experience with its clunky DVRs and all that kind of good stuff. Right. I, I agree. Those Motorola DVRs are fine pieces of machinery. What hey, it's Cisco now. <laughs> Cisco or nothing. <laughs> Cisco, who do I have? I have Charter, so I either have Scientific uh, uh, Atlantic yeah, Cis- or... Cisco bought Scientific Atlantic. Did they? Yeah, it's oh, it's they Motorola or Cisco. Or Cisco, now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But don't worry. The uh, the old Scientific Atlanta, now new Cisco, they, they suck either way, whatever's, regardless of what's written on the front. <laughs> who haven't they that, bought? You know, the conversation we had earlier about you know the new firmware changes things, yeah. yeah. You, you, you only don't believe that that's a, not a problem unless you've had a Scientific Atlanta box because every week something's wrong with the thing. <laughs> Jeez. Poor guys, and now and inevitably that's the week you're not home to fix it. Exactly, and your wife is calling you and yelling at you because she can't get something to work, and then you walk or, in and it magically just you know. Or at midnight when you go to change the channel and one you look want to look at the guide and it just freezes up for about two minutes as it loads new data. George, you know exactly what channel you're trying to go to at midnight. You don't need it. Wow. Okay, <laughs> moving on. The Samsung Galaxy Gear may ignite smartwatch wars next week. Um. Wow. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. Here's the thing. There, there is. There are patent applications. There are um, fake screenshots running around. Not only just from Samsung, but also from the the Apple camp. Uh, Bill, we'll start with you, and then we'll, we'll let you guys go enjoy your nice long Labor Day weekend. Is are we anywhere near this smartwatch thing? And if so. Uh, should we in AV be watching it uh, for uh, for kind of uh, you know kind of where the, the tablet took us as far as control? Could this take us to the next step of, of control? The whole smartwatch thing. No, I, I, I you, you know, I stopped wearing a watch. It's it's kind of funny in in Texas because I was doing a lot of shows. <laughs> um, be, um, Jamie's fault. It's so Jamie's the, fault. Yeah, the, you know, the Eastern Standard Time and Central Time, I was always an hour off, so I said, okay, no more watches. But uh, but um, I I think we're, it's, it's more than um, a couple years away. I think there's, there's going to be, you know, a Porsche, the cool factor, 
you know, you know, Apple will make it um, really cool. You know, we'll get people, you know, standing in line and and kind of of do you know do that, and then everybody will just stop and and sit back. But I, I just really, I'm I'm trying not to be in you know in, you know the the old guy dad had. No, That's George's stupid. job. Right, you know, you know, I am, this I am the scoble of this group. Yeah. Right, you know, nice. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wrong role. <laughs> um, but it's it's just like why, you know, and here we go, and and so I th- I think we're some time away um, um, from it, and even with um, you know Apple and Samsung trying to kind of force the envelope on it. Okay. I I have to admit I was kind of with Bill on the why until I took the uh, the wife and kids to uh, Mickey Mouse Land uh, or Mickey Mouse World, uh, unfortunately. But uh, we got selected to beta test these new uh, what they're calling Magic Bands. Basically, they're RFID wristbands. Okay. And, and and the neat thing was the RFID wristband not only replaced your your need for a, a, a room key, uh, it also you could put charging privileges on it, and you even it tied in with all their whole little Fast Pass system. So that you could get priority access to the rides, and and it was it was a really nice experience because now there was only one thing that I needed to to be able to do everything in the park, and it got my mind wondering to whereas if I could also have my email, uh, you know, on some sort of small easily to you know easily worn device, uh, you know, at, at that point, yeah, we really would have that final synergy that we've been chasing by the fact that we all probably carry an iPhone and an iPad and a laptop with us, all because each of them has its strengths and its weaknesses. And, and uh, whoever can figure out how to make it small, f- probably flexible to make it more comfortable uh, with some decent battery life, I, I think, uh, like you said, Bill, I think it's going to be somebody like Apple that behind the scenes work out the details with uh, whether it's RFID or near field uh, you know, technologies. But uh, I think that it's a huge potential, and then we just need Jamie to make an app for it to control our control systems. And uh, <laughs> at that point, we're done. And isn't it ironic? It all comes back to a wristwatch, which, you know, I'm like a lot of people. I don't hardly wear one anymore because I have my cell phone. Uh, Jamie, speaking of that, uh, not not just the app, but where, where do you think we're going with this? Is this something we should we should keep an eye on, our eye on? Well, I absolutely think so. I don't think it's, I mean, if you look at the way they're touting it right now, they're calling it a concept device, a wearable concept device. And I think, like, um, you know, there's there's a race to to show that Apple's not the only innovative company in the marketplace so there's the race you know race to get it done but or race to get something in the in the out in the market but i, I kind of tend to look at the the rumors of them being you know more of a smartphone companion in their their early iteration you know that they're going to be focused on delivering things like push notifications the tweets the texts you know maybe being uh, a mic a speaker a camera something in them but the the long and short of them is I can't help but feel like they're going to be introduced as companions to your smartphone or your smart device. And in doing so, I mean, then it's a matter of evaluating how how well will they take advantage of that. There's going to be manufacturers who have proven track records of delivering less amount of features but that are truly focused on solving human problems. And by problems, I don't mean like real problems. I mean yeah. They, they help they help people be lazier and that's those are going to be the successful ones that are out there right and and kind of going back to the kids thing if you watch how kids you know communicate with one another and and how 
how people are right now. It's kids want to say a lot. They don't want to listen as much, but they want to get their thoughts tweeted out into the world and they want to have a lot of one-way dialogue. So when I'm looking at the fact that a watch is going to give me access to my to see my texts and tweets, I think it'll be neat and it'll have kind of a, a fun something to it. But until that watch gives me the ability to broadcast out my own opinions and my own thoughts to this culture of kids that want to push their thoughts out into the into the world, you know, yeah, it's, it's, we'll, it's, we'll see. And, yeah. Until it becomes some sort of broadcast device, you're right, right, it, you know, right. instead of a listening device. Uh, Senor Tucker, that you've got the last word on this one. Where are we at with this? I think it's a Dick Tracy special, and it will automatically oh. have that ability. It's going mm. to do it. It's going to have Wi-Fi built in. It's going to have RFID or NFC. I don't see why it wouldn't. I mean, look, Google Glass was a, is a concept device, and it's, it's exploding. I think this is a companion device. Not nearly as big as they show it in the drawings. It's a little bulky for our, our age. But I think if they can get it down to a reasonable size, you'll see people doing it for automation for all this stuff. And it will be the voice to text or that, you know, mm-hmm. what's the infrared um, keyboard that you can do on a desk and you can type away. Well, that's been around for years. I, mean, I used to have a yeah. Palm device that did that. Yeah. So they're going to have something like that. I think this is a brilliant thing. I don't wear a watch. I would buy it. Well, and here's the other thing. Um, you, you mentioned the RFID and the, and the, and the NFC. Uh, I don't remember which episode, good Lord. Um, but you were talking about one time a an automation system that could sense who you were and where you were and how fast you were walking mm-hmm. and, and turning on and off lights. And, and if you were walking fast enough to where you didn't need the overheads, it just turned on the, the, the foot the, uh, the foot lamps. Something yeah. like that could absolutely tie into RFID and, and NFC. Um, yes. So yeah. That's exactly. I actually have that on my notes. Like, yes, remind them about that. Yeah. And actually, my brother-in-law wears watches that big, so he would totally buy this. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it. Uh, enjoy your your Labor Day weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, with us has been. Uh, let's let's go with the uh, with the uh, the newbies here first. Uh, first up, uh, Charlie uh, Jones. He's been with us. He's from Surjex. He's the senior technical manager. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys for having me. I uh, appreciate you letting me part of the uh, and the fun and the hijinks this afternoon. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you or find Surjex? Absolutely. Surjex is all over the place. Surjex.com. We're on Twitter at SurjexAV uh, or Facebook.com slash Surjex. Very good. Also, uh, Mr. Jamie Trader. Jamie is the technical resource director for AMX. Thank you, sir. Uh, thanks a bunch for, for getting me in again. I, I love having these conversations. You can definitely... Uh, Follow us on Facebook at uh, AMX Talk, and uh, that's where you can keep up with uh, what we're doing around the world, as well as keep up with us on Facebook at AMX University and keep up with uh, access to knowledge. Very good. Also, uh, William B.D. Brown. Uh, Bill Brown is the uh, the president and CEO of, of B.D. Brown Communications. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. And where can people find about you and also the, the Technology Center? The um, the Technology Center and me are on, on Facebook. You can Technology Center of the Piedmont Triad on Facebook. Um, BD Brown Communications on Facebook. Um, BDBrown.com website and Zero Geek Speak on Twitter. Very good. Uh, and last but not least, Mr. George Tucker. Where can people find you, sir? If it's a social media, it's Tucker Twos. <laughs> and, and also TypePad. Yes, that's form. That's basically social media. It is. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. 
All right. Uh, if you want to follow me, it is TD Tim David Albright A L B R I G H T. Um, I don't play the trombone, um, so that's not me. There's actually a jazz trombonist named Tim Albright. So, anyhow. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, TD Albright on Twitter and other stuff. But it, more importantly for me and everybody here, go by the website if you would, please. Uh, the fine we, fine web minions who run our website have been working feverishly. Um, they tell me by 2020 or 2025 we should have a new website. So, you know, keep, <laughs> keep up with it. Good uh, to have goals. I'm going to get a nasty letter for that one. Yeah, you are. <laughs> avnation.tv avnation.tv you'll hear this episode this very podcast uh our education show we have a one on on control programmers called uh, and control uh, systems called state of control uh, av social and two brand spanking new ones thanks to the fine work of uh, george tucker and some really smart people when it comes to projectors uh one is called pico prospective pico prospective it's about the pico uh projector market and also projection freaks so check the uh, projection freak uh so check that out if you would avnation.tv thanks so much for listening that's all the time we have for av week 